I'm Sam Edwards. I'm third generation cure master from S. Wallace Edwards and Sons in Surrey, Virginia. We support the Heritage Radio Network because we believe in the cause and what they're doing. They're supporting family-raised livestock, small family farms, uh, certified humane, pasture-raised, antibiotic-free. Basically, we take the products from Heritage Foods USA and make them into uh, Serrano-style hams, prosciutto-style hams, bacon, sausage, like my grandfather did. You can find us at Surrey Farms. Dot com or virginiatraditions.com It is Sunday, and it's the main course on Heritage Radio Network. Can you hear me, Matt? Okay, because I can't hear me. Um, This is um, the Heritage Radio Network. We're broadcasting live from Roberta's in Bushwick. Um, I'm your host, Katie Kiefer, and my partner in crime, Patrick, will be arriving shortly. Hey, Katie. Hey. It's episode 75. (gasps) Really? It's exciting. Wow. I think we've gotten better. What do you think, Jack? Um, biggest improvement probably from show 70 to 71, but you know, <laughs> no big deal. <laughs> Thanks, Jack. That's really encouraging. <laughs> that must be making our guest today, Matt Weingarten, feel really like he's in good hands here. Um, anyway, so Patrick will be along shortly, but in the meantime, we have uh, Matt Weingarten in the studio, and uh, Matt's... Um, Microphone is about to get hooked up, so that's that's good. Man, we really... What happened today? It's like Mercury is so totally in retrograde. Um, our show today is sponsored by um, S. Wallace Edwards & Son, as you heard before. And uh, you can check out their website or order through our website at Heritage Foods USA um, for the holidays. They've got some great stuff. And uh, so, Matt, let us jump immediately into... Um, first, give us a little a brief CV, like where you are and how you got there. And then let's talk a little bit about institutional dining, not as it relates to your restaurant particularly, but as it relates to Sodexo as a whole. Okay, great. Uh, well, I'm the executive chef at Inside Park at St. Bart's in Manhattan, right in Midtown. And... Uh, that is a restaurant that we opened about two and a half, three years ago, and we being uh, Sodexo and uh, myself as a chef there, I was hired uh, by Sodexo to start this restaurant there, and a uh, uh, large focus of that is uh, sustainable and community-oriented, uh, it being a sustainable and community-oriented restaurant. It's uh, on the property of a uh, beautiful landmark, St. Bartholomew's Church, so they are our partner in the venture, and it's uh, been a been a great success story so far. It's sort of in a tent, right? Well, no, it's not in a tent. We have but a. But you have the outside in the summertime. We, we have the that? outside in the summertime. Sometimes, it, sometimes it is tented, and we have a beautiful uh, uh, landmark space on the inside of the uh, of 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 the space, which is uh, which was formerly the great hall for the church, and we've 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 transformed it into a dining room. And it's really, you know, it's just it's one of the, it's a rare beauty in the city. It's it's really lovely. And then, of course, in the summertime, we have a uh, wonderful terrace out front that's about right. two hundred people. That's big. Yeah, it's huge. Um, it's a uh, in the summer. It is uh, it is definitely high volume uh, high volume dining um, all summer long. And you must do a huge lunch business too. A huge, yeah. huge. Yeah, because you're right there. Sort yeah, of it's great. It's really central. it's it's really an oasis. Sort of, you're in Midtown, and 
you can uh, kind of sit sit outside underneath the palm trees and eat some delicious food and uh, just sort of forget that you're in a, in a in a canyon of of, of midtown build, buildings. Yeah, and and you are. Although you're on Park Avenue, so it's not quite as uh, oppressive as it might be. Um, well, to to cut right to the chase, I mean, one of the reasons we wanted to have you on, Matt, was because we have um, over the past few weeks we've had guests on from Restaurant Associates. Um, we had a guest on from. Um, it was Restaurant Associates, and I forget who our other guest was at this particular moment. My apologies. Um, but anyway, we've been talking about institutional dining and institutional sourcing, the idea being that um, you guys, Sodexo, especially as a company that services um, many, many college and university campuses, for example, as well as corporate dining rooms, mm-hmm. um, is sort of a good place to start when you're talking about how a company like yours can encourage um, the movement, so to speak, to grow. And so um, I noticed on the Sodexo website, which I read pretty extensively. Wow. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, I try to be a little That's prepared, man. That's good. <laughs> you know, it's bad enough that I can never remember anything once I've read it. But um, they have something called the Better Tomorrow Plan. And I wondered if you would be able to sort of outline some of the broad strokes of what the Better Tomorrow plan means in terms of um, being a restaurant company that supplies so many different uh, venues, and then um, sort of how the impact that that would have on on the communities that you work with and the farmers that you work with. Uh, sure, that'd be, that'd be great. So the Better Tomorrow plan is uh, 14 commitments. I'm not going to, I won't recite all 14 commitments to you, but basically um, what's great about it is it's, 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 it's a very broad stroke that hits on Sort of all, 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 all points of, of, of our interactions as 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 a society. So the food sustainability piece, um, as it as it depends on uh, the food we source, is is a big part of that. There are commitments towards uh, sourcing um, sustainable seafood, uh, sourcing uh, more local produ- produce, etc. And then there are also commitments uh, that have to do with. Uh, uh, waste management, energy management, um, water usage. Water I usage is huge. Um, so, what the one of one of the main reasons why um, I love working for the company is it's very um, it's very broad picture. There's a lot of there's a lot of stories that are just beyond sort of finding that that beautiful local <laughs> carrot. Um, Sorry, here's here's Patrick. Patrick just rolled in, coming in at a dead run. <laughs> what and the hell happened, same. dude? And. Uh, well, I mean, I know that we had fall back. Oh, look, he's... failed at the clock switching, so... But the clock switching was falling back. You would have been an hour early. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Okay. And that's our show, guys. Thanks for coming. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, you poor thing. Well, anyway, we just we just got started, Patrick. So um, Matt was just uh, outlining for us some of the, the the main sort of the four major commitments of the um, Better group. Tomorrow Plan, which is as outlined by the Sodexo Group. Um, and also, I did manage to retrieve from the memory banks that it was Bon Appetit. Catering oh, company that we had as another guest again to talk bon about and and restaurant associates and now Sodexo. I'll so. tell you, Bon Appetit sounded very impressive. Restaurant associates seemed to say the right words, but I, I didn't quite well get the names of the farms or the percentage. <laughs> bon Appetit is a lot about that. Well, th- I think they are, and I think that may- they make that very much up front and center. I think with restaurant associates, it's a little bit more of a um, you know sort of. Uh, 
catering to the cons- to their their dining groups that they work with, but um, but with less of a sort of sense of of urgency about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, clearly, Sodexo has a very strong sort of corporate responsibility element to the company, and so Matt was just kind of getting into like its waste management, its water usage, its uh, sourcing locally, and what was the fourth one that you mentioned? Um, energy management. Energy. Was, yeah, energy, energy management is, yeah. is huge. Um, so it's really, I mean, for for myself, I mean, I come from obviously the culinary side. Um, I'm constantly um, uh, getting more educated myself, and that's real. It's a you know, it's a, it's a it's a personal benefit to me as I'm more involved with our uh, corporate citizenship team and our sustainability team. As you know, the information that I'm able to uh, have better access to and to be able to think about more. Whereas, sort of, if you're just operating, you know, in a in a dark basement kitchen, you're you're worried about, like I said, where that beautiful carrot comes from. But you're not really thinking about your water usage. You're not really thinking about, um, you know, how efficient your 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 kitchen is actually is actually running. Um, and one of the one of the things that that uh, is a big focus, especially in the campuses right now, is actually on food waste uh, uh-huh. that the, that the companies make for, which has been a real eye opener for me. And I think it's a um, it's an amazing stance, and and basically it's uh, a focus to sort of just minimize waste and to look at both ends of of how that's uh, how contributing to uh, greenhouse gases, both on the producing end and then also on the on on the you on know, the disposal on end. the disposal end. And so, well, I was fascinated when I was watching the sort of corporate statement on the website um, that the you know the the guy who was giving the statement was talking about how they had actually sent a chef in to an American university. To or no into a public school, mm-hmm. and had you know told the kids like explained to them that all this food that they were throwing out in the public school system actually had an impact on you know their environment on you know waste management and also that it was that's just a good kind thing of a to criminal. tell the the kids in public schools eat more. Well, but I mean. You know, well, the idea that you're... But, but what's happening in public schools is, like, everybody is working so hard to make the food better, and yet the kids, like, you put an apple on a child's tray, and they're going to... They toss it. Right. Well, by the way, just to jump in with a good point, since I ridiculously missed the first 15 minutes, which I've never done. Well, we started five minutes in, late, in so don't years. worry. You know, I, I really am getting sick of the school talk. Mm-hmm. The school talk right now is a no-win situation financially. So why are we talking about it? There's 3,000 corporate cafeterias before schools. Ball fields. Well, and also there are all but, those But the New York Times building, all newspaper buildings, uh, movie complexes. What are the craft tables serving at every movie thing? Those people have the power tomorrow to change. But everyone's like, oh, that's too direct. Let's talk about that thing. That So you say, oh, I want to help a public school. That makes me sustainable. It actually, I think, makes it ridiculous. Now, there could be a school or two. What about every private school in America? That's a winnable battle that we could start tomorrow, but no one wants to fight that battle because it would involve uh, getting the driver to drive up to the back of the school in five days. Anyway, sometimes I think too much energy is put on that. Meanwhile, there are culinary crimes being committed at people who have a lot of money. 
You know what I mean? So anyway, that's just a personal thing. I think uh, school lunch sounds great, but... Oh, yeah. It's a really easy cause to get behind. There's no question about right. it. Because and it's I, so winless. Yeah. There's so well, little Well, but and also it's like any place. any rhetoric you make around that issue is going to make you look like a like a hero. Right. No matter how little you actually accomplish in, in changing things. But let's go back to the college and university mm-hmm. level because that yes, is someplace where you place. really... How many, how many colleges and universities is Sodexo uh, oh. working with? And how many... Meals a year, or um, a month, or something. I don't have those figures. I'm sorry, guys. I'm not. Um, I will tell you team. that it's. Um, yeah, yeah, it's. It's. I know that Sodexo employs nearly 400,000 mm-hmm. people. Um, that they're in, I think, 33 countries, and uh, it's. I forget. Exa- I, I have not retained the figure of how many colleges it is, but it's in the hundreds, right. of universities. So that that if you think about how many kids are going to universities and that a university campus might be serving i don't know you know 5000 meals a day at least right. that's where you have an opportunity to actually yes. change um, change the way kids think about food and what they do with it so let's let's talk yeah, let, you know, let me I let mean, you pick up that thread again right. and, and, and while I, I i mean Patrick, while i definitely agree with you with, uh, of the winless battle of sort of at the at the, the school lunch level i mean a big part of it is, is is the education level and the idea is that you know you learn you, you learn certain things uh, in your education level besides just you know your grammar and math and what you're taking with you into into your own workplace so you know the thought and the hope my personal hope is that as people are exposed to it at, at grade school level and even more so at college level, that when they go to, to to work for their to big 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 money big corporation, that they have certain expectations of what their what their company um, finds acceptable and what and what they're willing to pay for, et cetera. Because that's that's uh, that is that that's the key, especially on the on on the food service end. I mean, Sodexo, we are a we are a food service based company, meaning that we will provide any service that that. That, that any company wants, period. And, uh, and the range of services is uh, uh, big special events uh, to breakfast. Right. To- I mean, there, there, there's, 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 there's the food service side, but it's also, it's actually, uh, it's actually service management. There's also, um, you know, building management as well, and that's where we get into the, into the, into the energy side of it. But it's, you know, it's from, from the what's at your cafeteria to also how, how your buildings. Uh, functioning etc any any real services we're really um the focus of the company moving forward is really to get into um services that uh, that um uh any a- any services that affect people when they come together you know mm-hmm. any any community-based services so the idea is, is that sodexo will provide any services a company requires and the other side of that is the company has to be willing to pay for it i mean whether it's corporate services or whether it's school lunch it's or whether it's just you and I going to the supermarket to buy food you know we all uh, have a pretty good understanding that we we've we've lost the cost for a cost relation ratio that it's cheap but what's what are the real costs and mm-hmm. so so um, they sign off by binding with Sodexo they just trust that you're going to get them a competitive price for what they're demanding but let's talk about how you get that competitive price because if you're leveraging that much buying power how does that translate into you know revitalizing a rural economy? And or- where is Sodexo buying from? I mean, we were even Bon Appetit was like you know of course we have to rely on the commodity market. I mean, right. are you kidding? We're a massive company right. and and this and that, but we are trying to move in this direction. So speak to that a little right. bit. Well, so uh, I, I, you know we we are also in uh, buying buying that same system. And what what Sodexo is currently doing is. Uh, putting uh, a lot of pressure, a lot of pressure on uh, many of our traditional uh, procurement uh, resources for them to get better, and that where we're still going to them as our as our main 
number one sourcing, but we want them to be buying more local and more sustainably as well. Because another another big issue of the of of um, of the purchasing is is the liability involved and and et cetera. So the idea of someone coming in the back of a truck with with a bunch of potatoes, which I've done in small restaurants, um, is a little less applicable to. For, for the scale, sure. um, because we live in litigious society, et cetera, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. But if we can get um, those those regional, um, larger, our traditional sources to say, we want you to buy from this farmer, we want you to buy from this farmer, we want you to buy from this farmer, and it represents our buying power, um, that's that's an amazing way to sort of... Uh, you know, shape the discussion. So, do you work with like the big broadline distributors like Cisco and U.S. Foods and stuff like that? Yes. And so correct. you're able to tell them, I you exactly. Know, but then I do the they other, care? Yeah, I they mean, do because this is a do. huge client. They do care. Because, They're going to lose money if they yeah, don't. Yeah, they do they work absolutely with care. I mean, they, you know, I mean, you know, Walmart's all local now. I mean, everybody cares. So it is, you know, I I you know, I'm I I'm personally frustrated. I'm sure I'm sure everybody sitting here is personally frustrated, but. I mean, there clearly is a movement at this point from no, from no five years ago. Even. I don't feel frustrated you know. at all. I, I think it's great. Cap, I think I what's happening. I would have been like, oh, that's BS. But now as a businessman, I mean, you can't but appreciate that move, whether they're doing it for the right reasons or not. An inch by Walmart is equivalent to sure. you know, 900 truckloads into the city. Um, Matt, when you talk about... Um, when we talk about farmers, though, one of the things that we've, Patrick and I, have discovered over and over again when mm-hmm. we talk to smaller distributors or smaller, you know, independent farms is that they have no distribution network, they have no aggregation or processing facilities, no aggregation warehouses where somebody like a Cisco can come up and pick up a whole right. pallet or a whole truckload of potatoes Heritage or apples Foods or whatever. Heritage Foods has, for instance, Pat Lafrida, who has 30 trucks yeah. out there, right. and uh, they allow us so to... So without, without access to that kind of, of basic transportation, Transportation and distribution—it's—it's it's, it can't how be that it? easy to no, it, you can't to get do these it. guys and into the fold. I'm gonna I'm gonna call out to all young entrepreneurs. That is that is a that's a that is a key key part of the part of the. Uh, Did you get that tag, Jack? Yes. A call to entrepreneurs. Well, we, we said that before. Really, like, where are the puzzle. venture capitalists? That's the puzzle piece it's right there. It's just a van. You know, it's a, a truck. truck. <laughs> it's something. It, I'm just saying, it's not yeah. brain science. No, but exactly. It might involve a lot of infrastructure, but it's about making a delivery in a vehicle to a place and giving them a packing slip right. and an invoice. Right. Well, I mean, somebody has to take the farmers, you know, apples or potatoes or beets and clean them off and bunch right. them up there's, and pack there's them such in a case. Population density in New York. Everybody knows everybody. People are very in their own little world or they have their thing, you know what I mean? So it's very hard for someone to break in in like Sullivan County mm-hmm. or, you know, Westchester County or New Jersey. But, you know, if you look towards uh, maybe a more regional approach, Virginia, North Carolina, I mean, those places would really benefit if 50 farms signed up to uh, some distribution entity. Well, if 50 entity. farms were able to come together and get some sort of, you know, government money to help them build a processing facility Absolutely where right. a truck could pull up and get the stuff, right? that that would be, you know, an enormous step forward in creating regional networks of, of you know, distribution, whether it's Has meat or produce and cereals. Sodexo ever thought of becoming vertically integrated like that? Like, no, I, I first want to ask this. You have an unusual role within Sodexo Somewhat. in that you're kind of like uh, a guinea pig. You, I mean, you, <laughs> you guinea pig ideas, you know, right. you, you well, test th- things out to see how feasible or what works and what doesn't on that kind of fringe cutting edge Right, I, I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm part of a task force that's 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 dedicated to doing this beyond my 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 
uh, traditional role of being a chef at Inside Park at St. Bart. So, um, uh, you know, we're really trying to find the solutions because, you know, it's not just a matter of, you know, like I said, everybody wants to get that great carrot in, 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 in wherever you are, whether it's school, whether it's restaurant, whether it's uh, cafeteria. But how does that, you know, how is that, fin- how is that financially sta- uh, sustainable and how, how does the whole distribution work and how do, how do we ensure um, safety in every step of the way? So, um, you know, I don't think guinea pigs are right, <laughs> the right no, term to say. But what are you but- doing, though? You were doing things and then you report up. Correct. And then that might become a policy change through the organization. Co- yes, correct. For for, for lack of uh, of It's very impressive. Uh, well, you know, I mean there's there's a lot of other people in the company that are also uh, involved at different ends from from the, you know, corporate citizenship team to, to you know discussing the waste management, but this is, you know, this is huge for the company and um, um, and it's one of the reasons why I sort of was was originally attracted to Dexo after working in sort of small restaurants. Savoy. Um, Savoy. You know, I was you know cooking in in, in the. You were in charge in of the, that kitchen. Yes, I you was, didn't even let Peter anywhere near <laughs> there. No, that's not true. <laughs> Peter and I had a had a you know a f- phenomenal collaboration, and you know, and I and 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 it's actually sort of an interesting story to tell because I was you know I was cooking in a small kitchen, and, and you know Peter's just you know he's he's he sets the gold standard for 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 you know, sourcing and his his knowledge base for, for where bicycles. food comes from, etc. But uh, you know, I was really interested in what it you know the possibilities of doing it at a larger scale and sort of like yeah. you know, like you said, it's a, you institutional know, change. It's a, you know, it's an amazing uh, it's an amazing opportunity. So well, we uh, just uh, Heritage is really psyched. We're working with uh, Virginia Tech. Amazing. Through um, our uh, farmer friend Alec Bradford in uh, Virginia, and we're also work with Emory University, right? Which is a, a Sodexo account, right. I believe. And, and right, they're buying your the... turkeys, right? Yeah, they're all buying our turkeys and our ground turkey, and so uh, you know that was a lot. Uh, it was Matt who went through Helped the patient process that? to get in because that's what it is. It's basically they make it hard to start. But then once you've started, well, I was going to ask about that. We actually, should take but a, we're uh, going to take a short and break. And I just want to say, right Matt is one Matt of my. Garten. I'm going to say this at the beginning of the next segment about what a great chef I think he is, and I'm <laughs> not you. just saying that because I don't. We have chefs on here all yeah, the time, and I say they're good. But there's some stuff Matt does in particular that I find uh, particularly unique, and uh, the cured meats plot in particular. So we'll be right back. Who's our sponsor today? Edwards. Oh, as well nice. as Edwards. Sam.
It's a girl? A son? Uh, uh, Sarah. Girl. Oh, I think we're on the air now. Oh. We are on the air. <laughs> this I is am the main just, course. Uh, my brain is like sriracha. I okay. also ran five miles today. This morning? Yeah. Oh, I thought I woke you up. No, you. Well, it sounded like it. So <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm, you sounded very discombobulated. But let's let's remind our listeners that this is the main course on Heritage out of Radio Roberta's Network Restaurant. Um, I'm Katie Kuf- Katie Kufer, and you're Patrick Martins. And our guest um, in studio right now is Matt Weingarten. We're going to have Josh Sharkey from Bark, Chris Parakini, the visionary at, at Roberta's. Behind Roberta's, yeah. Then uh, we're also going to have a drop by visit of Alec Bradford, Hooray, who miraculously who delivered turkeys, slaughtered eighteen hundred turkeys. Uh, Friday. Not himself. And we're going to get the... Well, he had to put all 1,800 on the trucks. <laughs> and that's a bloody business because those turkeys yeah, yeah. really uh, fight back. Right. Oh, come on. So anyway, I'm a big fan of um, Cafe St. Bart's. I mean, first of all, the it's in a church, which is cool, but it's from the food Cafe perspective... Let's I name it. it correctly, shall we? It's not Cafe St. Bart's? It's Inside Park at St. Bart's, but... Okay. Inside Park at St. Bart's. I love the little, uh, it's, what is those little, uh, they're not Tupperware, they're those little um, ceramic ceramic uh, cooking things that they're you can put in the crabs, Ramekins? Yeah, yeah uh, it's, it's either La Crozette or Stab. La or, Crozette. Right. Oh. And you put those into 500 things. So there's a whole series of those little things or little lodge pots, you know. With oh yeah, I love those little them. miniature things. And his charcuterie plate, as a kind of experimenter, has cured things in it that basically you don't see anymore. I think you had elk, right, and it, bison, I, and I had, yes, carpaccio, I, and right. all that. I've, oh, I've oh, been known to... Uh, uh, um, get some get some interesting uh, meats and do very traditional uh, um, preparations of it. I mean, I'm really hunters bear. Did yeah, you have well, bear? Th- that was just for you. That was that's not on the menu, but because uh, it's uh, legal to hunt bear, uh, it's legal to hunt bear, but it's not legal to sell it. So I just oh. gave you a taste. Oh, okay, um, sorry. Uh, no, no, it's fine. No, I mean we'll that's, that's that literally <laughs> no, that's literally what it, what it was. Um, I have a I have a, a a very good friend who's a very avid hunter, Steve Rinella. He's actually would be a great candidate for the show. He does a lot of, uh, he's written a couple books. Uh, but basically, you know, big focus of the restaurant is just heritage cuisine. And for me, that means, you know, really holding on to a lot of our traditional uh, culinary knowledge and sort of celebrating it. You know, it doesn't have to be molecular and come in a spheroid, you know, ball and uh, have foam on <laughs> it to you. be to be delicious. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but, you know, there's no, just sort fun. of. This idea of, I mean, and what I think is a, is is a key to you know our current food uh, problems is um, a, a rethinking of what it what it means to eat. Um, and if you look at any traditional cuisine anywhere in the world, you know the ratios of protein to starch to vegetable are ninety nine percent in order because that's that was sustainable. There's the reasons why you know a recipe doesn't last you know doesn't live for five hundred years if it's not sustainable. So meaning what, for instance, nutritionally or uh, yeah, it's not too much meat. Economically, as it, well, nutritionally, it? economically, um, you know, as far as uh, you know, uh, agriculturally, everything. I mean, you look at you know a simple dish like cassoulet. Like, why does cassoulet exist? It exists because you know. Uh, in that particular region of France, um, 
those particular uh, game birds and, and a pig or two happen to be able to live off the land and there's beans aplenty and you need the fat to get you through the winter and everything is in order. You know, it's not, you know, you don't get this huge, you don't get a whole duck and a little bit of beans, you get a little bit of duck and a lot of beans. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's just one example. But And actually that dish has iterations through so many different cultures because it's oh, yeah. basically the same thing as cholent. Yeah, exactly. It's the same as cholent. I mean, so that's, you know, that's all through the right. pale and through Katie, Russia. You know so much. It's well, amazing. I know a lot about food. <laughs> about yes, she does. Yes. I'm not talking about sports. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was just asking Matt, like, why does anybody care about the marathon? Yeah. <laughs> Um, Sometimes our saying, guests try to test us, up. and yeah. then that basically unleashes yeah. a whole whirlwind of info from Katie. Yeah, no, Cholent's <laughs> the same thing. I mean, but you know these these traditional dishes. If if you start looking back at them, and that's that's kind of one of one of uh, one of the focuses that Sedex was taking is to bring um, uh, this traditional. Uh, these traditional dishes and this traditional style of of, of eating and thinking about food um, into the the cafeteria, so that we can get away from you know from a burger and fries. Uh, from you, a burger and fries, exactly. Can you describe the uh, chefs within the Sedex? So the people that are running and making the actual culinary gastronomic decisions mm-hmm. at each one of these venues, where do they come from? You know, have they gotten the the chance to go to the Chez Panisses, to the Babos of the world and study? Or are they coming from, uh, like, what is their mandate? Yeah. No, I mean, they're, they you know, they're, they're, they're culinary trained and, and uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's enormous. It's an enormous co- uh, company. So you have all, you know, all, all skill sets. And, and another interesting thing to, uh, so some of them are, 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 are you know, very highly culinary trained, and, and some of them are, are are less culinary trained, and are very good at, on the service end. And the uh, the interesting thing is, is um, a lot of the accounts where Sodexo uh, uh, services, they don't have, you know, a lot of them have a small pantry, and you you have electric burners, and that's what is there at the facility. And you're still challenged with uh, making delicious food for a very you know captive audience that needs you know great sustenance in their in their workplace. So. Um, you have to take that into consideration when you see sort of what you know, you know, what culinary talent and what 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 the culinary program is um, at each of the, each of those different uh, levels are, and uh, and uh, you know what Sedexa does really well is provide uh, you know uh, um, solutions to those kind of uh, issues. I mean, you know, we you know what the big the big tagline that you see there's a video you see you know we service in antarctica and we service on oil well, so there's really you know there's lots of challenges that sure. that, that that the company does really well. Very interesting. Oh, yeah, it's great. It's a great company. I mean, when you look at the website, it's really, there's so much going on there. And I was so impressed with this whole sort of corporate citizenship Na- part yeah, and, the, and the, the whole, you know, Better Tomorrow plan and, Can and you all break of these down little the, um, steps that they're taking to, to mm-hmm. change things. But w- w- before you ask your question, yeah. Patrick, I just wanted to say one thing um, or ask one thing of Matt. And that is when you go into, when you guys say you take over a, a corporate dining facility and, um, do you find that the people that uh, are used to eating there, are they like open to and excited about changes? Do they have an opportunity to make suggestions or is it an uphill battle? I mean, outs- let's say outside of the New York area because right. obviously you guys – and let's talk only about the United States because we're the most food-challenged yeah. nation in the world as far as I'm concerned. So so let's stick to like the right. smaller cities More than where Ethiopia. it's – well, food challenge in the sense of like abundance but of abundance, but crappy food. <laughs> right. Abundant crappy right. food. Yeah. yeah, just kidding. Yeah, 
Um, so yeah, so that's that's a really interesting point because I think I think one of the great thing that's go- that's going on right now is is, is companies, uh, uh, corporate boardrooms are mandating we're going to change our we're going to change the food that we're uh, providing for our for our guests, which is for for our uh, employees, excuse me, uh, which is wonderful. Um, however, you know, on, on uh, you know, on the field, on, on yeah. uh, uh, you know, on the boots, it's it's sometimes it's more challenging. Sometimes you know they you know they want a a massive platter of you know fried chicken and and macaroni and cheese or whatever. It could be delicious, could not be delicious, but um, that but that's, that's really the challenge. To. I mean, there, there is there's definitely open to change, but you know, like like anything, there's um, any any change in any workplace. Um, is challenging and and what uh one thing that Sedex has been working on for the last couple of years is uh is studying uh demographics in all sorts of different uh, arenas from call centers to uh to traditional you know to, to factories to traditional business head- headquarters and really trying to understand what the demographic is and provide them with the best possible choices of food that's going to not only attract them but that's going to be able to allow the the companies that are hiring us to achieve their own goals so which is like interesting know. it goes back a long way i always remember captain bly was sent to the west indies to bring breadfruit back to feed the slaves yeah but the slaves didn't like eat them in the end right, like right. finally when they, they got there it was just like, fruit. so it, it's yeah. supposed to be a, a culturally adapted food or else you know you're you're starting well, off what on i the think wrong is foot. interesting is to take that <laughs> piece of the up. of the boardroom uh you know mandating these changes and and asking for these demographic mm-hmm. studies and then and then to me i think to myself well what is it about that that makes it work for them and i'm thinking well it's the economics because if you have a lot of um, overweight people who have a lot of health issues, then you're you're talking about lost work, lost weight, right. you know, and then and so does it really all come back to that it, on it, a certain level? It's right, and the it, it absolutely does. And uh, part of uh, what our corporate citizenship team is working on is is uh, being able to quantify the changes we're making, creating quantifiable scales that then you can take to your i mean it's it's not just the the the, the productivity which is a huge part um and the health and wellness but it, it's it's also it's it's the healthcare piece as well clearly yeah so i think that that is also i'll make another call to entrepreneurs um, nice. understanding uh what the correlations between cost of healthcare services and the food provided and having some sort of new models new scale that's that's going to really understand that so that um you know, basically, the money has to be found somewhere for for the 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 more responsibly sourced or or you know a more complicated distribution change. All those all those things are added costs, and um, so the money has to be found somewhere. So if you're able to find that money on the back end of your healthcare costs that are becoming exorbitant, it makes it uh, feasible for the companies that are hiring us, as well as uh, it makes them a more attractive company. For their future recruits because you know to go back to the grade school level the the university level that the thought is, is that you know the most educated uh you know f- potential employees will be demanding that so mm-hmm. um, right. that's how i see the whole very interesting you know, i like this call out to entrepreneurs because that's really yeah. what it takes it takes business people to do something it does. the reason totally. there's not enough slaughterhouses in upstate new york is because investment is not coming mm-hmm. into that sector and the same yeah. with the concept of the of the aggregation warehouse the processing f- facilities in order mm-hmm. to bring the distribution networks in line i mean without those pieces of the puzzle you can talk about this locavore 
you know, stuff all you want. Right. So but what it ain't going to happen. Your ten-year vision or twenty-five-year vision. And they for have your one. Work in terms of <laughs> right. you, what it, you're pushing. I don't it, care. I mean, I know what theirs is, but I'm saying like you might even take that vision further. Yeah. No. I mean, you know, my you know my vision is to uh, uh, is to create a financially sustainable and stable model um, to deal with specifically uh, distribution chains of local local farmers and local foods into a larger. Uh, corporations such as such as Sodexo, and we're doing we're doing great work. We're getting you know we're making progress, and you know is ten years you know a, a, a realistic uh, aim? Yeah, you know it's a it's so. a big uh, it's you know it's 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 a big ship you know, and it's a big ship that that uh, that um, uh, everything is very well uh, vetted, um, which is which is you know uh, you could depending on who's looking at uh, the progress uh, from external. If you're looking for you know. Just a quick, you know, uh, you know, pop up market, you know, win. Um, it's it's they're they're not as 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 uh, not as frequent, but the changes when Sodexo makes a change, it's it's it, it's monumental yeah, it's and big. it's very well vetted and it's gone through all sorts of you know financial and distribution. It's got, everything gets vetted out, and so when the change is made, it's it's very impactful and it's not just sort of you know fluff, which uh, which I find you know. Um, uh, very reassuring to know on, on such a 10-year plan thing <laughs> so yeah there's an honest commitment there yeah oh no it's fantastic i mean so uh, where can people eat sodexo oh food? i mean lot, like the I common mean, person is there, is there a place i mean there's well the, there's your restaurant your right restaurant. well there's, there's there's my restaurant for sure Wait, is Park. that open in the um we're winter? open on, we're Just open the outside 365 not. days of the year yeah no, no they're know, open on the other yeah. outside is not the terrace no. is uh we, we just closed is magical. The, yeah we just closed the terrace, but we'll, we're serving, uh, you know, our, the restaurant inside's open all, all winter long. Um, so there's that. And then, you know, basically, uh, the, uh, I don't know all the uh, the different places, but, uh, you know, t- tons of university and college campuses, lots of lots of schools. Um, and you do the and, and uh, we do not do the, that stadium, but uh, okay. um, uh, lots of locations. That's awesome. I think you can go to the website. Yeah, and you can go to the website. Just type in S O D E X O. Yes. And you will learn right. everything you ever wanted to know about Sodexo, except for right. about Matt Weingarten. Right. What is the chain that you report to? We have uh, four minutes left, okay. but tell us what is the chain? So you make an observation or find some way of saving energy, and then what do you do? Uh, well, I'm I'm like uh, I said earlier, I'm on a I'm on a I'm on a special task force that that I'm bringing that that. Uh, that information to in order to to, to create a, a new model, a new program, which will be uh, rolling out in in some sort of beta phase very soon, in sort of a very well thought out uh, phase, and that'll go into a couple different uh, locations that we're determining. So um, there is a, a team that consists of uh, people from the company. And this is the director. You know, this is you know we report directly to. Uh, uh, Michael Norris, the president, uh, and this was his directive. He put this team together. So there are uh, marketing people on that team. There's culinary, myself. There is uh, the you know uh, health and wellness side of the uh, on that team. There is uh, financial. There's uh, procurement. There is um, uh, energy. Energy. Uh, that's water. sort of under, energy and water. That's all sort of under the. Uh, the uh, uh, energy management, the, our corporate citizenship team. I'm trying to think of what who else I've left out, but pretty much all yeah. facets uh, to make it a successful program. And what so, percentage of the food is being sourced according to what you would consider you? It, it's arrived. Like it, it gets the check. You wouldn't change it, and you hope to see more of it. 
You, you know, I would say, you know, depending on this, I mean, and in the Northeast, you know, where we are, so we're not we're not in Berkeley, California. In the Northeast, I would say, you know, we're, we're working, especially on, on the produce end, our traditional uh, vendors uh, are doing a very good job. I mean, I think that there is, you know, in the growing season, uh, there are choices that you can do, you know, you know, probably you can get 30, 40% of your produce produced locally. Wow. Um, that's, that's a good you number. Know, you know, 30, which 40% which, is millions of pounds, which doesn't mean that, which doesn't mean that, um, that's what's happening in, in all the accounts, but it is available. Right. And, and or if, with all the foods, cause meats right, may be as right. harder. And if the companies that are, that have hired us are willing to, to, to pay that, you know, it's usually a premium. If you're willing to pay for the premium. Yeah, we'll provide it, you know, and that's, and that, again, that is the key, you know, um, we need, uh, you know, you know, we need, we always need partnerships uh, to, to 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 drive the issue. Um, on on the uh, on the meat side, it's a little more a little more challenging. Um, it's you know, it's always the uh, um, it's 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 complicated. Is Not part everyone of the challenge, can be like heritage. Yeah, but as part of the challenge, it, it is the obviously the cost factor. And so, do you think that if these distribution networks existed or these, you mm-hmm. know, processing facilities, whether they're slaughterhouses or processing mm-hmm. for produce, if those things existed regionally, would that, do you think, bring the cost down overall for companies like Sodexo? 100%. Cost, it's, it's cost and liability. Um, yeah. It's also the, it's, it's, it's understanding what, it's, it's having, uh, having uh, a, a new understanding of what the real risk is involved um, to, to procure that food and understand how that can be managed from a food safety and sanitation side. Right. Um, and so, you know, Sodexo itself is protected and, and, and everybody that we serve is protected. And the consumers, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Well, we've got to have Matt back on because... Yeah, there's so much more I, I, to We this. didn't even talk terrific, about bidding. Matt. Thank you so you much. You know, how the Sodexo yeah, bid against Yeah, I was going to say, I wanted companies. to know how people got contracts with oh, you. And we also didn't talk about the menu. We didn't get into the nitty-gritty of how do you save <laughs> energy, what could other right. companies do. And water do, usage, which water. is obviously going to be the right. next really, really just big the thing surface. So we're going to have to pay for on. your lunch again and have you back. <laughs> yeah. Actually, Roberta's donates the lunch, uh, oh, but uh, for the very But we'll buy you an guests. extra beer. <laughs> All right, I'll, I'll take that. <laughs> but, um, you know, you'll be tagged, obviously, on our Heritage Radio Network site by Jack, um, which means you'll have... Uh, There'll be some misspellings, but for the oh, most part, stop. <laughs> today's our seventy-fifth show, Patrick. Did you know seventy-fifth show? Yeah. You look great for seventy-five. I'm Katie. telling you, seventy-five. I'm one hundred and two. <laughs> so um, we're going to be back with uh, really a guy I look up to, Chris Parakini, uh, the visionary behind Roberta's, and then we're going to come in with Josh Sharkey and and then uh, no, at one ten we have Tim Carmen from the Washington City Paper inaugurating our. I think little... he's one twenty now, based okay. off of the number of guests. I guess that's lateness, what's going to happen. Tim, I'm sorry, Jack. I'm you're going to call punk. him and tell him, Matt Weingarten. Thank you very much yep. for joining us today. Thank you so much. Course. Yeah. Big fan. Come back. Come on down, come on down. There's folks that you can
My grandma and my grandpa danced all through heaven's door But sometimes in the moonlight you still can hear the laughter And the music of the Holland fills the starry sky Cherry Holmes. I love Cherry Holmes. That was great. And this is uh, the main course on Heritage Radio Network. We're broadcasting from the back of Roberta's Restaurant at 261 Moore Street. Which was built by our next guest. Our next guest. Chris Parakini. That's right. Who, What's up, everybody? Yeah, you're one of the owners, one of the... He's the visionary. The visionary. You're the, you're the DIY well, guy. Yeah. You're the one, guy who makes it happen. One of them. Yeah, yeah. that's true. There's there's a, there's a, there's he did a, it completely there's himself. The, yeah. There is a really... A, you guys are an amazing crew, actually. I'm, I'm just full of admiration. I mean, you know, no sooner is an idea articulated when, boom, it's done. Yeah, like a, we're, we're like going to sell pizza down at the blah, blah, blah. The next thing I know, you've got like a, you know, a, a, a trailer hitch with a with a platform and some <laughs> crazy looking little oven on it. You're dragging that around doing stuff. So how do you it's get so, cool. so many people to, you know, they remain independent and they keep their own style and they bring their own culture to the game, but that yet they're still working for a cause, almost like it's a corporation, you know, like IBM, and yet it's also like a, a, a compound. How do you let people be themselves but also stay focused on a cause? <laughs> um, I, I, don't, I don't know. There's like no one thing to say about it. It's, um, it's a business. I mean, it's grown into a business in a way that it, it wasn't in the early days. Um, so we're mindful of that and... I guess um, I I think we're just looking for like good stuff all the time, and like when people bring good stuff, and we you know we're into it, we want to we do our best to support it and like figure out a way. Everybody that's here that's like a vested you know uh, party in the restaurant is um, sort of came here and made their own job. They maybe they started as a as a pizza maker or even as a dishwasher or whatever. Um, and, and sort of brought a special thing to the table that, and got it recognized and like and then nurtured and then protected and then they just sort of become part of the the larger thing and like to I I think we try and give it maybe a little direction and and watch the various trains so that they don't fall off the tracks um, you know we do our best anyway sometimes they do um, and uh, and and just sort of pay attention to like what makes the train run faster and more efficient, et cetera, and then sort of, you know, keep our eyes out for what slows it down or gets in its way and, and try and remove those obstacles. And Like, what would those be? Because, um, I mean, I don't know how you keep up with all the projects you have going on, but, like, just for, <laughs> an, it's just for instance, like, what what's the kind of stuff that, like, throws you guys for a loop? Because it doesn't seem like anything stops this Well, train. I mean, one time they uh, stopped the uh, farm from being built up there, you know, it could be the cop, I mean, it that could be the city. That took about 30 yeah. seconds to resolve. Well, yeah, yeah, we just sort of pulled out, 
I mean, we're kind of. I I think the the good thing we got going is we get a little fanatical about the about projects and um, that sort of. We just sort of uh, we mobilized. You know, I mean, we were like we also. I think we like a good fight. So like. We um, that seemed like a good fight, you know. Yeah. We, it, it got picked with us, and like we just kind of <laughs> pulled out all the stops. To First the, blood. Yeah, and um, you know, and like there's a it's a weird thing when you're doing projects, and you you ha- for us, it's worked well to adopt that kind of um, mentality or approach to it. And then you know, of course, you have to not get consumed by wanting a good fight all the time. Um, so it, the hardest thing about running this circus is um, sort of constantly getting yourself back in check and, and remembering that, um, you know, these are projects and these are things that we're doing, but they don't supersede the more important stuff like, um, you know, trying to live in a way that you can live with. You that know? you can have fun. Yeah. 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 Well, now you guys, I mean, you have the, the Brooklyn Grange is up and running and obviously doing well. This is the first weekend there hasn't been a market. So I guess this the is growing urban season is kind of over. Uh, Queens. In yeah. Ireland. There's a, Ben's got a bunch of carrots, but they're, but they're that was they're wildly really successful. I mean, that was remarkable yeah. that that just went from like zero to 60. I mean, by midsummer, you guys were growing, selling produce already. Yeah. Which, um, and Good. how much of that was supplying the restaurant? Um, here, I don't even know what the percentage sustainable was. with that, or is, is, is the restaurant? No, not even close. Uh-huh. Um, it's obviously any any step in that direction is the right direction, but it, um, no, I mean, I don't even know what the percentage is. It was a small percentage of the amount of food that we moved through here. But right. when you tally up all of the restaurants who got involved, and then the the success of the public markets, uh, especially as the season wore on and people kind of you know, started got to, to know it to better. Get, yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, it started to make an impact and, and more importantly than that, even as far as how many people could feed, because it's, it's an acre and you can feed a good amount of people with an acre, but you, you know, it's New York city. I mean, it's a, it's, yeah. it's a little bit of a drop in the bucket, but it, it, you know, from a pure like logistical or bean counting standpoint, but as an idea, as something that was a kind of wild idea that could be expanded to that size and then executed even in the face of, um, you know, of some adversity um that that to me is where its value is sort of like off the chart and it's going to be interesting to see this year coming what what the follow-ups are and and um, a lot of people have contacted us uh, in the last year and you know told us about their intentions to do similar projects some of them even more ambitious and and that's all you know all over the world and and that's awesome and um that the meter's running on that, yeah. you know. Let's see how far this whole thing goes. Talking about meter running, I mean, how do you judge uh, when you're overextending yourself because you have such <laughs> a wild team? Like, how yeah. how do you judge that fine line that you're making sure you're not too little butter spread over too much toast? We constantly get too little <laughs> butter spread over too Very much nice toast. Very nice. I know you're always ahead. Yeah. Right, well, you're always a project yeah, we're cut too ahead of yeah. of what the infrastructure can support. Yeah, that's what it seems. Yeah, I don't know how to slow it down. It's because it it already feels slow because the the executions don't aren't on pace with the ideas, and then of course the infrastructure and the like organizational and operational stuff that back up the finished, you know, the birth of a new thing that's always lagging behind. Um, I don't know, man. We're always looking for more people and um the right kind of people to do more stuff and it's um 
it's you know, an it's, empire. It's well, like it's a, a little growing empire it's, you it's have It's wild there. Yeah, and man. unruly and, and uh, we just, it's a, you know what it is? It's a giant horse that we just like try and stay on as it like gallops. Let's talk a little bit about, because you guys have another project coming up down, Sarah was telling me down at, uh, in Miami. Yeah. You guys are doing a, con- you've been invited to do a concession at Art Basel, which is one of the well, biggest art fairs in the United States for every scope, year. For Scope, actually, which, which oh, runs scope, which runs at that. the same time. Yeah. Uh, oh, no, and, at yeah, the same it's a separate time. Oh, fair, but it, it's like a younger, edgier. Uh huh. Um, How did that? I guess happen? more streetwise art fair that runs while Basil's going on. Um, that that came to us through uh, Jason and Jeremy at Third Ward, um, and they've been involved with it for a number of years now. And um, you know, they got asked to do the food stuff, and we're like, though they came to us, and they're like, "Hey, man, the the food down there in the past." has sucked and we don't want it to anymore. <laughs> in a word so, yeah can That's you do actually, something so yeah. what are you guys gonna do you're just gonna do pizzas down there or no we're not gonna do any gonna pizza do? it's Gabe no. McMacken. That's it's, the most exciting yeah. project is now the catering thing because all of a sudden yeah. it's like the outreach of because, the I mean, pretty soon you're huge. gonna be rivaling Sodexo yeah. <laughs> <laughs> with these offsites. I mean why not somebody's <laughs> exactly. gotta do it exactly Gabe at the um, university cafeteria that'd yeah, be cool yeah right um, Gabe fantastically uh, talented dude um wants to or is is heading our catering department and um this was like you know the the catering motto is anything anytime anywhere and like this sort of fit perfectly into that of course the first reaction is yes and then the next reaction right after that is holy shit how are we going to do this yeah what are we yeah, and what um and uh you know and and but we, we got the team together we got a plan and um we're going to go down there and do it so what kind of menu are you going to offer and where do you oh, going to be like similar stuff? to it's going to be uh, very, very Asian-influenced. Really? Um, yakitori is going to be the centerpiece of the cooking. And, um, and then we're going, to do, we're going to do a pastry and coffee thing inside the tent and then out on the deck outside, um, which I think is going to be awesome because there's going to be a live stage set up next to it and a big bar. And it should be a kind of awesome party every day that we're wow. there. But outside, we're going to do yakitori. Um, what is yakitori? Rice bowls. Sushi? Skewers. Grilled oh. skewers. Skewer, it's meat, sweetie. Oh, nice. Yeah, it's, fan- I mean, it's fantastic. You yeah, know, yeah. It's no, in the Japanese the to come up with like, the best grilling thing ever. Yeah, um, so you have, you're yeah. just going to have a bunch of little grills, basically, then. Yeah, yeah. So you well, don't the have to like, we have invest to feed... in a big kitchen setup or anything. You can just rent some grills. Uh, chuck them in. There, yeah. And then we are talking to... Um, well, I think this is going to happen. I think Electrolux is going to uh, sort of uh, let us use their their test kitchen in Miami, or sorry, in Fort Lauderdale, um, to to do all the like big commissary style stuff. How many people do. are you going to be feeding? Thirty thousand over five wow. days is what That's we've been. That's a lot. Yeah, I, so having, it's like I'd be having a freaking heart attack right about now. Yeah, we're having heart attacks, but it, you know, it's <laughs> it's it's just it's going to be an interesting project. You know, I think. Um, I wouldn't even know how to order for that. Like, I mean, 30,000 people <laughs> over do five we. days? We wow. To to help. No, it, yeah. That's you just really seems like you're trying to get gigs along your sailing route. Yeah, you know, the, yeah the, right. You're going to take New the boat to Panama. Panama. Man, I'm going to go for the record. <laughs> yeah. Now, Carlos got family in Panama, right? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, do they let little sailboats go through there? Or yeah, sure. Yeah, anything, yeah. Huh? yeah, you go through with the bigger guys. but, but And yeah. then you just have to make an appointment to go through? Or exactly. they make you wait? Uh, you usually have to wait. Um, a few days to a few weeks, depending on, on really? how much traffic is going through. And you, um, 
there are a lot of guys that hang out on both ends looking to be picked up as crew if you're under crewed for the thing because you need you need a good amount of crew for like all of the rope work that needs to be done as you go from lock to lock and uh, this is all i've never done it obviously okay. i just this is what i hear um so yeah you pick up if you if you're under crewed you pick up crew members to make the passage through the canal with you guys and yeah, um, I, ju- I just flew over Panama, the, the canal, a couple weeks ago, and it was the craziest thing I've ever seen, seeing all these, like, boats as big as skyscrapers just all wow. hanging out in, like, an armada in, like, one place. And they're all Such waiting awesome. to get through? They're all just chilling, yeah, and they're all gigantic. It's crazy. Wow, that's I've seen some of those scary big boats in Newport Harbor in uh, Rhode Island, too. Those Because this cruise lines come into Newport, and they dock there for a couple of days and let people go to the breaker, you know, all the big mansions and everything. And they are, they are they're like, they're like floating skies cities. floating skyscrapers. Yeah, yeah, and they sometimes have as many as like 20,000 people yeah. on board. It's pretty crazy. Yeah, they're wild. It's bigger than my hometown, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And have you ever gotten anything going in New Mexico, didn't you? Or in Austin, you've always been wanting to go down to the film festival there, right? Go yeah, the I mean, festival. for you know, this is one of those, like, now it's just, a, I think, a, a bit in a, I don't know. We talked for years about going to Austin for South by Southwest. And then, you know, in the early days of Roberta's, when it was more uh, just pizza focused, um, you know, we used to talk about the rock and roll pizza tour and like the mobile oven, going from city to city, like touring, get a bunch of bands together and do a tour mm-hmm. where we cook the food for it. Um, you know, could be a lot of fun still. There's so that much other still stuff. still happen. Yeah, but you know, it's funny how like you, you have an idea and then some something happens in, along the way, some opportunity that is a kind of like uh, evocative enough of the that in, initial impulse, but it's different. Like for us, so we didn't go on Rock and Roll Pizza Tour and we didn't go to Austin, but now we're going to Miami. And, That's pretty you know, good. It's like, yeah, it's cool. feeding 30,000 people in so five days. Can we talk you about some like of the people challenge. at Roberta's, like some of the people behind the scenes? I mean, uh, like for instance, Josh, that guy Josh. Josh Tall. Corey. Corey, yeah. like that's really cool to have a, a true artisan basically yeah. working full time. Like, what types of role does he fill? Like, how is a guy like that necessary to your work? Oh man, he's so necessary. I mean, he's well, he has more work than a human being could possibly do in a day. What does Josh do he, for you? He's like the on-site carpenter, designer. <laughs> he's gonna hate me for this handyman. Um, he's not. He's not a handyman at all. Although he is the guy we lean on when when things go wrong. I mean, in the early days, it was Brandon and I fixing all this stuff, but we're just too busy now. And frankly, he blows us away and is really good at what he does. <laughs> so it's like, and that's kind of what's happened here. You know, like we'll start the thing off, and then f- people come out that um, can do it way better than us, and they want to do it, and we're like, yeah, please. And so right. Josh is that guy in the building <clears throat> department. Now, how proud of you? Of, of, how proud have you been of the kitchen and how that's transformed? Because there were the old yeah. days where they would bring a Boston <laughs> yeah. butt in the L train, you know, after having yeah. cooked it at home. And now this is uh, competing for actually best restaurant in New York now. People are voting yeah, for it. I, yeah, on eater.com. We were just looking eater. at the poll. Com, yeah. Vote for Roberta's yeah, restaurant. Yeah. Go so to your computer now. How has it uh, changed? I mean, it's turned into a world-class uh, one-star Michelin or something type Maybe restaurant. I mean, those guys are just badasses, man. They're, I mean, you know, Carlo started doing great things with nothing. And I think, um, th- you know, and then somebody else came along and was like, hey, this is awesome. Like, let me help. And then, and he just put together this crack team. And all the while he got better at, at what he was doing. And, and then we got a little bit of money, just a little, but enough to like, you know, build his kitchen up and give him some real equipment. And then of course, 
when you can do something with nothing, when you get something, mm-hmm. you ought to be able to do something amazing. And you know, and they they, they, do, and they it do every night. Yeah. And tell us um, about uh, Ulysses. He's been oh, he's like the Ulysses. most kick-ass. I love uh, that guy. Kick-ass <laughs> runner of all time. I don't know what we do without Ulysses either. He's yeah, been around for yeah, a long time. He has, man. He, he I don't. know. He's just a really cool guy. Like he's nice. He's a fun guy to be in a room with. You know, yeah. good energy. Yeah. And then, man, the wait waiters and waitresses. I mean, I I probably yeah, remember a hundred of them by name. I mean. First of all, Francis, what a great hire oh, he was. Yeah. He's been with us since the beginning. Since the very beginning. He started as a pizza holo. Yeah. And then Lacey, the the waitress. Yeah. Oh, oh, man. Yeah. How lovable Love is her. she? Yeah. Love her. And, and Dawn. And Francesca, who uh, went up to Yale. I mean, there is like a whole community of art and culture, you know, right through there. They really get the best of the best. But I think that's what makes Roberta such a really lovely place to come because Thanks. they are they really, found us too. They're I, like really nice one people, and it's a pleasure us. to interact with them. So it creates this kind of nexus of good energy and good vibe, man. You know, I always say this place is like on one of those uh, harmonic convergence meridians, you know, where all things good happen. It just seems like everything here just explodes into something even better and just Brandon gets says it's it a Pegasus landing ground. Right? Yeah, <laughs> right? I bl- yeah, it's magical. Any new things? We have a couple minutes left. I mean, fun things that you feel. I mean, you're the king of keeping things secret, you know, <laughs> a big projects, and then all of a sudden we will read about it. People read about it in the Times or something like that. But um, do you have any other things like... Uh, Best Pizza just opened. Okay. Um, go check it out. I'm going to plug Best Pizza here. Um, it's, oh. uh, it's a slice joint. I thought we were keeping that the best kept secret. In that, well, the, we did. We worked really hard to not tell anyone about that until it was Really open. hard. Yeah, it's good. It's yeah. really hard to do that. So too. Best Pizza's on Wyckoff and... Havemeyer. Havemeyer. Between North 7th and North 8th. Sorry, it's yeah. in Kenny's old uh, brick oven gallery, and then which became Brooklyn Star uh, under Kino, Baca, and then... Um, they moved on to a bigger space after their fire. Mm. And um, as a joke, to Kino was here one day, and I said, you know, we should open a slice joint in there. Oh, that's and, Kino um, who runs out. Okay, he yeah. used to be with Mama Fuko right. and all those guys. Yeah, yeah. He's Josh's good friend. Josh's good friend. That's um, great. Great cook. Had yeah. a great little restaurant. Is going to have a, this, a, the great little restaurant again in just a slightly bigger space. Um, so he called me up and was like, hey, man absolutely like let's let's do slices in here and we had frank uh we'd already met frank through anthony falco uh frank pinello who's the the head pizzaolo down at uh, best pizza and whose uh pizza you're eating um total badass rock star pizza maker um from bensonhurst mm-hmm. um you know so legit that like there's nothing more to say about it the so basically people here pizza. heard it here first best pizza on Havemeyer. Actually, well, it's, Florence it's Fabric can't no, no, yeah. you by a oh, couple all right, weeks. Then. Sorry, Flo Joe, she's still at it. Flo, Flo Fab. <laughs> Flo Fab. She'll be, yeah. uh, long after we're all dead, she'll still be scurring around the restaurant <laughs> scene helping us. I'd like to have her on. God bless her. She's, she's awesome, great. Well, yeah. uh, Chris, um, we have to, at the very minimum, once a season, but hopefully more, and uh, either in December or with our new season in January, you know, we'd love to... Yeah, come back and let's hear what's in the pipeline for the next hear summer, because I know yeah, there's definitely. something else brewing. And sure. thanks yeah. so much, officially, for letting this exist and, and yeah. being so supportive of it and uh, allowing this archive to grow of information. Uh, you know, hopefully 100 years from now, you know, kids will still be logging on to this site and learning things about... Uh, cool thing. So yeah, yeah. awesome. Yeah. The king of power to your empire. The emperor. Yeah, we'll be right back. <laughs> Whatever. With uh, Josh Sharkey from Bar Kata. Yeah.
we're back. I'm so sorry I was late, Katie. But uh, I'm sure you did a That's great never 10 happened minutes. before. How, I know. You know, it's, it's got to happen once in a while. It's no problem, Patrick. You got me right back into the flow. Yeah, yeah, you were so, great. So uh, today we're sponsored by Sam Edwards, S. Wallace Edwards & Sons of Surrey, Virginia, who make amazing prosciuttos. And they also make now a peanut-fed line of Heritage Burp pork yeah so uh, we're very proud of them we just had uh, matt weingarten and chris parakini two guys really awesome guys awesome, awesome and now guys. um we have josh sharkey who is uh used to be at franny's i think that's how we met or i don't know oh no through cafe well cafe gray is the, the last place I've oh been. no kidding yeah uh cafe gray right and then uh i don't oh, know actually patrick i met you about 10 years ago in in torino at this London oh restaurant. yes that's true um so but then now Bark, hot dog, what an awesome place. If I lived within a mile of there, I would eat there four times a week. It's no like kidding. an everyday type of thing. And it's so pioneering to make a sustainable hot dog themed joint. I mean, tell us a little bit about how that all started and, and how it's going. Well, I think the, the reason, it, the, the way it started is, you, you know, I mean, my background is, 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 is mainly in fine dining and my business partner, Brandon, who is from Franny's, you know, we've, oh, right. we, we both, um, you know, came up in, in that, in that kind of, you know, in that industry of, of fine dining, and we realized that there was, there was a, a, a missing gap of, of, um, of just good food, that, you know, that wasn't, that wasn't in that atmosphere, and, you know, I think we, we also, you know, living in Park Slope, you know, seeing, you know, a lot of, a lot of children, and a lot of, you know, young professionals, you know, I think every time we would see someone going to a fast food joint, or someplace that, you know, obviously it's not, you know, the greatest food in the world kind of really struck a chord with us. And we kind of wanted to change the perception of what fast food is. Now, how do you make uh, margins on what is traditionally conceived as such a cheap food? Well, I th- I like think a that's, hot dog could that's, cost $1.50 somewhere. That's, that for us is the most difficult challenge, I think, because, you know, and that's really the only... You know, I think the only um, problem we've, we've, you know, come across... I mean, we've, obviously there's a lot of problems, but... That come across in a restaurant, but uh, the price point is definitely tough because you know we're really product driven and it's really important to, to to us to to use the best products we can and and that's just not something that that's ever happened with fast food. So you know, and especially with hot dogs, hot dogs are usually fillers with you know cheap cuts of meat and you have mm-hmm. you know unheard of things in in your in your hot dog. And it's our- actually a true example of biodiversity. It's a hot dog. It's got yeah, like yeah, everything in it. Every conceivable absolutely. species. Yeah. So we, you know, we spent a lot of time, you know, finding the right, you know, the right, the right. So you guys are not right. making your own hot dogs. No, we are. actually work. It's very with, hard um, to make hot dogs. It's like it's so uh, you have to have a good fine grind and what natural yeah, well, casings. The, the, I mean, it's not the I end think, of the you know, It's not that hard. The, the emulsification is the is the is the big is the big part of it. Tell because, our listeners what that is and me. Well, I mean, I mean, hot dogs. You know, usually. Um, uh, it's it's an emulsified meat, almost like. Well, I mean, there's there's always a little bit of, of liquid in there. Water, usually it's water or ice. So you make um, like a slurry. Uh, well, it's not really a slurry, but I mean, the water is you know the water is used to kind of well, two things: one to emulsify all the fat that's in the in the dog, and also it's it also with most hot dogs kind of gives you a little bit more. A little bit more weight, right? So know. tell us the history. Tell us the process of making a hot dog, just and then just to contextualize it. Well, I mean, for us, our hot dog is it's really only three cuts of meat: it's pork shoulder, pork jowl, and beef shoulder. That's it. There's um, oh. those are the only three cuts that we use in our hot dog. Um, and then really, the seasoning is really, really, really light: the salt, a little bit of pepper, some coriander, 
and and that's it really. No mustard. Not no not not in the actual hot dog. You know, mm-hmm. in the in just in not. You know, in the in it's the, not in the, in the slurry, yeah. I no, mean, not no, in the mix. Just, yeah, it's just really, it's really just meat, salt, and. And where cool. does this get ground? So you get these things, and are you allowed to say the ratio or? Uh, well, it's a proprietary yeah, brand, yeah. so. So then, when you mix it, then you mix it into a big vat. It well, actually, mixed? well, Joseph Bruno, the, the the gentleman who makes it for us upstate, um, he just um, he just switched to a larger facility. He went from a. I think a three thousand square foot, like a fifteen thousand square foot facility. Wow, good for you. Um, but he's, you know, he makes it in thousand pound batches. So it's these giant. Basically, it's like a giant buffalo chopper, uh, which is this almost like a grinder. Um, so it goes through two processes: the buffalo chopper and then and then the fine uh, the fine grind. Um, and it's really, you know, it's all ground together, mixed, emulsified, and then it's 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 shot out in you know in portion size, um, you know. Which is what a four ounce uh, dog or something? Well, ours are ours are seven to a pound. Okay, so you can buy a one pound hot dog at Bark. No, 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 no. It's seven oh. hot dogs per pound. Oh, I see. So okay, gotcha. Usually, Sorry. most most sausages you count, you know, per pound. So mm-hmm. it's six to a pound. Or our sausages, like the bratwurst and the vice versa, are four to five a pound, um, depending. And they're made in the same place. At they're made at the same place. How did you meet that guy? Uh, I mean, I'll be honest. We did so tasted so many hot dogs before we opened bark and you know you know obviously tried making our own and 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 really it's not a it's not something that we could have sustained for the amount that we go through in a week mm-hmm. um and i was actually i had actually met with um Ariane from d'artagnan at at um at blaugowns um for a meeting because we were talking about possibly um doing a hot dog together and and then we when we had lunch i had actually you know, had a sausage there, and it was. And Kurt Gutenberg, the guy who was, who was the chef there, was um, told me that the sausage that they were that they were using was made by this guy. This Austrian while gentleman. meeting with Ariane, <laughs> yeah, which is kind of funny. That's um, funny. You did you just leave the meeting once you tasted the hot dog? You just <laughs> left her there with the check. Well, no, I, we actually went through a couple of different tastings with Ariane. Um, didn't really, you know, work out um, the way we wanted. I think she still has a hot dog now, uh, which doesn't have nitrates in it. But you know, for for me, I think. You, you know, you really need the nitrate to, to make it work. Now, that's an Why? argument. You need it to what be is pink? the advantage well, I mean, versus either way? Well, here's the thing is if you're not going to use nitrates, and what Ariane does, um, uh, and any any hot dog you see that doesn't have nitrate, is they use a, a large amount of celery, like the celery product, either celery juice, or because um, celery, celery itself has a fair amount of nitrates in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, cool. you know, nitrates are used to preserve the meat, and, and, and also it gives you that nice pink pink color. And if you don't have... If you don't have enough of it, um, well, they don't last as long for one. And you, and know, you have we, kind and of also a great you product. Don't, you don't hold them that long, so that's not the issue for you. Well, I mean, really, after after you open up, our, our hot dogs come um, in what's called a negative air um, package uh, directly to, to bark. Um, so it, it takes out all the air, unlike cryovac, where you take out all the air and it's just there's no air in the package. This takes out the air and then it adds nitrogen. Uh, as soon as you open that package um, or any package, you know you st- the meat starts to deteriorate. After two days, it's com- it's not the same as it was. You know? How many do you have cryovac to a pack? Five th- or ten? Uh, it's a five pound pack, so it's thirty five. Thirty five um, at a time. So when you open to get one, there's thirty four that are out. Exactly. Well, I mean, they, we go through it very fast. Right. Um, but you know, even even. I'd rather I'd rather not open a pack and have it sit overnight. Honestly, mm-hmm. um, it doesn't change that much. But so you eighty six it as they say. 
No, we just we just manage it well, so we know how much how much to use. Um, but the nitrate for you know for me is really important. It's and it also helps. It also does help a little bit with the flavor. Um, there's you know there's obviously salt um, in nitrates. Most nitrates you use if you're going to use pink salt, it's like ninety six percent salt, four percent nitrate. Um, so you're going to get a good amount of salt in there as well. Um, you know, which obviously helps with the flavor. Uh, I think for the main thing that you know jo- Joseph's hot dogs that. He really, um, you know, had the had the best, you know, the the meatiness that we were looking for with the salt content that we wanted, and and then you know we kind of applied, um, we based all of our hot dogs with this smoked lard butter that we make. We basically just buy your fat back from Heritage and oh, yeah. smoke it overnight, and then whip that with butter and salt, and so everything everything at Bark gets basted with that before we bring it out. So just to give it a little bit more smokiness and salt and salt to it. So let me ask. So then he, he, he does it in that big uh, buffalo grinder, and then he gets casings from these big, uh, like the Case King or these big companies that produce most of the country's casings? Yeah, well, he uses, he uses um, lamb casing. Oh, okay. Um, so, um, which is really, I mean, if you're making a hot dog, it's really the only, you know, the only, for, for the size, it's really all you can use unless you're going to do something synthetic. Um, so all, all of his all of his hot dogs are. are, are so you uh, have natural casings on your hot dogs. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you really, yeah. if you want the the right snap, you want the you, snap. You have to, yeah, you have to have. So it yeah, you casing. need the snap, and then you get it mm-hmm. basically there because he he takes this emulsified thing and, and and puts in the casing, and then cooking it. Is it? Uh, are there se- secrets that are well, people I, at it, home that you would tell them? Hey, don't grill it. Well, I, I think it, it's. Or, I mean, it's it's certainly not a secret. We've we've you know. We're pretty open about it, you know, the way that we cook the hot dog, which I think is, it's important the way that you cook it. We, you know, I think a lot of people, and even the hot dog that we have is Austrian in style, and and the, and the way that they usually cook that is boiled. Um, but we slowly roast it on the griddle, so it's it's it slowly renders on the griddle um, at a low temperature to kind of render the render that casing and get it, you know, nice and tender and crispy, and then we finish it, we finish it really hot, so it gets. So it gets that nice that nice bite to it, um, and and then we you know, obviously with the with the the smoky lard butter at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's I think the most important part is to really slowly render the hot dog so that you know you 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 know you can get the casing nice and nice and tender and crispy. I kind of want to go there right after. I know this. it sounds absolutely fantastic. Hot dog is such a great friggin' food. I cannot eat hot dogs normally because typical commercial hot dogs are made with mustard, which I'm wildly allergic to. You mean to. mustard seed? Yeah. Really? That's one of the seasonings in typical. You're Frankfurter. allergic to mustard, huh? Yeah, it's such a drag. You have no idea. Yeah, I think you know. Lactose intolerant. The, that's. The, that's I used to be that. Too. The spices, that I think, are, are one thing that I disliked about a lot of the hot dogs that I ate. Was mm-hmm. you know you don't really taste the meat so much because there's so many spices and things in there, and that's what I like. What I liked about Joseph's, you know, style was he was very very simple. very minimalist. What's yeah. the best Just industrial hot dog for people that can't come to Bark and they might be listening well, they, in Kansas City? They can actually buy. Um, Hartman's yeah. makes, uh, you know, hot dogs. I think Wegman's sells them. Oh, I love Wegman's. Um, so yeah, you can certainly get his. And I think, you know, other than that, to be honest with you, if if you want a good hot dog, I recommend just going to a Polish butcher if you have one near you because mm-hmm. they they always have you know really good beanie smoky. And that's know, not for just hot dogs. For all good quality things, the oh, poles. Yeah. 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 All so, good quality uh, meat things, yeah. So, um, is there a website down. and tell us your address and all that for the archive? Well, it's yeah. Bark Hot Dogs is the, is the website, barkhotdogs.com. And um, it's on a weird little street that's between Flatbush and Fifth? 
It's on Bergen Street, yeah, between Flatbush and Fifth. Um, we have, you know, we have a Facebook page, and and um, you know, we're starting to to, to grow. Uh, we wanted to take it very slow in the beginning; we're only a year old. But now that we're starting to grow, we'll have some more. Um, we'll probably do a little bit more, um, you know, with Twitter and things like that. But can you open on Court and Fourth Place? Is that uh, <laughs> possible? Well, you know, we're looking we're looking near. How there. about we're, the Upper West Side? <laughs> You know, it's funny when we when we first opened, there was a really lot of used some you know, food up there. a lot of people would call us and, and you know when are you when are you going to come to the Upper West Side? It's not that it? easy. No, no. Are you, would you ever do like a cart? Um, I mean, I mean, take a page out of the Roberta's book and like, I mean, they've got the portable pizza oven and you well, know. franchise. I mean, I think the connotation of franchising to you know give you know give this to somebody else to to kind of run it. I don't think that's something that we're looking to do right away, or or maybe not at all. Um, but we're certainly expanding. I mean, this business is is economy to scale. You know, it it it's meant to expand. We've always planned from the beginning to have more, um, but we wanted to know before we right. before we moved on um, mm-hmm. that everything was you know all the systems were in place and that we were happy with um, the consistency. And I think you know we're we're certainly very very close to that now. We're entertaining a lot of offers for for um, new projects and. Um, I don't want to see too much, but we, you know, definitely have some stuff. You'll be works. seeing Bark Hal somewhere else. Well, I hope Josh, so. we'd love to have you come back on. We'd love to have you with Brandon and talk also about the whole history. Maybe we could do a little tasting or something, but uh, maybe yeah, we could broadcast fun. from there. But um, it's a real breaking new ground, making sustainable food accessible. Uh, we didn't even get to talk about sourcing and all that, although I, you guys buy from Heritage and I know many other good sources, but. Um, anyway, it's more just power a good reason to, you. to have you back. Every neighborhood in the country deserves a bark, and I guarantee you, the <laughs> fast food franchises would poop their pants if they knew that forty barks were opening in Cleveland or something. So, um, good <laughs> luck, right. and um, we hope to have you back. Yeah, yeah thanks. Thanks guys. a lot Appreciate for stopping it. by, Josh. Thank you. I went across to Switzerland where all the yodlers be To try to learn to yodel with the yodel I climbed a big high mountain on a clear and sunny day And met a yodel and got up in that little sweet chalet Oh, he taught me to yodel This is the main course on Heritage Radio Network. Um, we were just talking with Josh Sharkey from Bark. Uh, before that, our guests have been Chris Barracchini of Roberta's and Matt Weingarten, who came to us from um, Sodexo. Sodexo. Uh, so next up, we are inaugurating a new series. Um, oh, and I should say, this is the main course. God, Tim must be on so Heritage honored. Heritage Radio Network. Oh, I hope so. <laughs> and um, and this is our the first of our new series, which is to explore um, other cities. Why am I getting feedback, laddies? Yes, like uh, Washington, D.C. He's listening to the stream. He needs to turn oh. his computer down. Tim, you have to turn your computer down. I don't have a computer on. 
All right. Well, let's get into it. Okay. DC. Anyway, DC. So Tim is the food writer for you're the restaurant critic for the Washington City Paper, and you have a blog called Young and Hungry, right? Correct. It's more middle aged and hungry, but we we like to pretend. Well, we pretend that we're young and hungry because that's the way we are right here. Patrick, of course, is an infant. I myself am way beyond the century mark. But um, that being said, we try to keep it young at heart. And Tim, um, thanks so much for being so patient with us today. I'm sorry it, we were a little disconnected. I was. Uh, I miscalculated the time change. Yes, Patrick. Do had not a, worry about he it. He had a horological mishap. Okay, so good. how long have you been in the industry, and what do you tell us a little bit about the column? And I'm fascinated by DC food culture because it seems like such a transient community in general. So have there been like what are the true deep rooted traditions of Washington DC? I guess is my question. Okay, so many questions. Which one would you want me to tackle first? What is the roots? What is the roots of D.C. cuisine? Because if it's such a transient community, like New York, we know. San Francisco, we know. What is D.C.'s oldest and most uh, hallowed restaurants? Well, uh, D.C., as you rightly suggest, doesn't hasn't really had a deep and abiding food culture like maybe the South. Um uh, even though we're technically considered part of the South, it's it's it has been a transient culture and continues to be a fairly transient culture. So we, I don't think DC you can point to any particular uh, uh, food or product um, and say this is a distinctly DC food. I mean, there have been. We, I actually did a. Uh, uh, a project last year to name uh, DC's signature dish, mm-hmm. and and it was all over the map, mm-hmm. you know. And, and no one it, thing and I think stood it, out. It just, it just, it. Well, you know, it it went from everything from like the Senate Navy bean soup, which yeah. you know technically is really only available to people who can go to the the, the Senate cafeteria, um, and has only marginally trickled out into the restaurants, uh, and it's not very good. Um, I have a recipe for that. Ha- to it's the great. half smoke, which is, of course, what Ben's Chili Bowl serves. And, and Ben's has become, through President Obama, you know, kind of like the signature restaurant of D.C. And, it's and what is that like restaurant? It's, it's really just a soul food slash diner uh, okay. down on U Street. And uh, that has become, like, the place where all the tourists go. Wow. And, you know, it's it's really... A classic throwback. I mean, I love Ben's. It's a classic throwback diner. It has the stools along the counter. It's got the illuminated, uh, 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 you know, menu board behind, uh, above the grill, behind the counter, and it's just hamburgers, hot dogs, sausages, French fries, milkshakes, breakfast foods, and yet it's become an institution uh, in D.C. because it, it has survived. No, and, um, and that's that's one thing that just doesn't you know DC doesn't a lot of institutions don't survive things change so rapidly around here. Well, like you uh, for a while were the preeminent food city in the country, I believe, with Jean Louis Paladin, didn't he? And set you up still there? have he was there and uh, Michel Richard with Citron. But then, right. as you and say, you those have things Jose Andres now. But are those places still in business? Michel Richard well, is still going strong. Of, so of course, Jean Louis passed uh, many years ago, but he was—he was like the first 
celebrity chef, mm-hmm. if, if you know, before even anyone used that term around yeah. here, and and worked down at the Watergate and and made a terrific name for herself, and really probably put D.C. on the map uh, back when French food was uh, the style, and everyone wanted to eat French food. And of course, historically, D.C. has its restaurant culture has been French food. Oh. Uh, and or steakhouses, and they've been very pricey and probably out of the reach of the average sort of diner unless you had an expense account or worked for the government or a lobbyist or a lawyer. Um, but, <laughs> is there anybody you else? Know, the, the, the celebrity chef culture in this town has just exploded, and, you know, we still have Michelle Richard, who, who has kept, um, you know, D.C. as his home base, but I, I, I dare say he's been eclipsed in popularity and probably relevance by Jose Andres. Yes. Who he's a real, now, of yeah, course, force. is just everywhere. He's opened the place in Los Angeles, the Bazaar, which got four stars immediately out of the box, which I think, you know, everyone was surprised by. And, and now four stars looking by at, the post? Uh, you know, Las Vegas, which of course is the, the hallmark of being a celebrity chef, I guess. I guess. <laughs> no, Vegas is. I, I, it's, it's the hallmark of like, you know, the celebrity chef who sort of franchises out his name, something like that, right? Right, right. Uh, yeah, it, I mean, I have my doubts about how high the quality the has to be. To his, to his credit. Well, that's good. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of those guys do stay involved, but it's very hard. I think very hard. Um, I remember visiting Tom Colicchio's kitchen out there when he opened up a craft steak or something like that. And, and you know, his chef de cuisine was like, I can't even keep help here. I mean, it's like the transient population. You think it's bad in D.C. And in Vegas, it's like people come, people go from week to week. So trying to maintain the quality of your kitchen staff and thus the quality of your food, I think, is a real challenge out there. Can I ask a one question? Is there an, a, a food quality change during administrations? I mean, can you point to the culinary culture of D.C. going up during Democratic uh, administrations <laughs> and down during Republican nice. ones? I mean, or is there a change at all? If not uh, hierarchical, I mean, uh, is there any change at all? Well, I, I you know, it'd be nice to say, at least for, for my lefty little heart, that uh, the Democrats <laughs> bring better food, but uh, that's not really the case. Uh. It, uh, you know, I, I think D.C., as far from as the restaurant culture is concerned, has really... Uh, mushroomed in in the last uh, ten to fifteen years. I I came to DC in two thousand one and considered like an old timer around here now. Mm-hmm. And you know you you see if if you if you judge a restaurant by its stamp of celebrity chefs, you know we've certainly have become you know uh, have raised a couple of uh, notches in in the country's uh, esteem. You know, we've got a flood of New York chefs have come down here. I mean, Eric Repair and, and uh, 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 Alan Ducasse and, and uh, uh, Bobby Flay. I don't know where Bobby Flay is, is, is uh, you know, where his home base is. But all these chefs have, have opened up restaurants or will be opening up restaurants in, in the city soon. And I think it just it says, I think, less that they think that we are a sophisticated culinary town, although I think we're getting there, and, and more about that we've got money because we're the, the seat of government. And, and unlike a lot of cities, our recession hasn't been probably as hit, we haven't been hit as hard as other cities have. Yeah, government keeps on 
churning along no matter what. Um, Tim, let's talk a little bit about sort of like in New York. I mean, we just had uh, one of our guests on was uh, Chris Parakini, and Chris is kind of the emperor of DIY here in Brooklyn. And, you know, he's he and his partners uh, opened up this rooftop farm called the Brooklyn Grange. And, and they're one of, of many uh, rooftop farms that are opening up here in, in the New York, uh, you know, the five borough area. Is there, do you have a similar kind of, um, surge towards urban agriculture and Bottom local up, stuff. Kind of build your own restaurant yeah. in the outskirts. In the D.C. area, or is that is it still really pretty much controlled by uh, big restaurant groups and, and smaller independents? Well, you know, I think D.C. Uh, restaurant culture is a little different in that, in that uh, the downtown real estate and the D.C. itself, the real estate in D.C. is very expensive. So, um, I mean, not that New York isn't very expensive, too, but uh, most of the, the restaurants you see in, like, downtown and and some of the more popular neighborhoods, like Adams Morgan and U Street and downtown, it's like they're very self-contained and small restaurants, and that's where a lot of the uh, 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 kind of the heart of the uh, restaurant uh, culture uh, lives. Now, there's stuff kind of out in the suburbs but it's not, you know, it's kind of it's kind of scattered here and there, and some of those places, I think, like Cahal Armstrong, who owns Restaurant Eve, has developed sort of his own uh, 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 not farm, but uh, has developed his own sort of like garden that he that he pulls from. But it's it's not any sort of major project. Uh, like I know, um, there's a chef who works for a restaurant called Post Brasserie down in Penn Quarter who has turned his whole outdoor patio essentially into an outdoor garden and you can dine among it and he's got hundreds of plants now and he uses it in his kitchen but i don't think it's the same thing as what you're talking about but it's probably as close as dc comes to that concept wow that's very different from here i mean patrick has a question and then i'm going to follow up go ahead Pat. oh well, no no you go well i was going to say that um being as how you're in virginia and actually one of uh one of the guys that um patrick works with at heritage foods usa is a virginia farmer named alec bradford um and uh you know that that whole area that alec lives in which is uh, near blacksburg is kind of a a hotbed of of you know farmers who are working with a natural model small independent um, farmers yeah. along the allegheny trail you and, know and how Blue much of that food is is coming into the D.C. restaurant Yeah, scene. are there alternative sources, or are you still or dominated every- by the big three? Yeah. Oh, no, you know, a, a lot of the independent restaurants, and even the, the larger restaurant groups, they, they really have worked hard at forging uh, good relationships with area farmers. I mean, mm-hmm. like every like every other city around, you know, local seasonals, like the, the drumbeat mantra that uh, everyone is, is espousing here, and and I mean, and, and I think it's even gone further. There's a chef here named Todd Gray who has developed uh, his own cattle. Oh, and cool. Has has bought, like, a small, if I remember this correctly, um, has bought a, a small herd of cattle and raises it, you know, according to his own standards. That's wow. fascinating. And, and feed, and then, you know, has to go to the USDA slaughterhouse. Mm-hmm. But but the cattle is raised to his specifications, and then it's cut to his specifications. And his, so and he his genetics. He actually has his own beef, which I, I think is, is, is pretty cutting 
Yeah, no, that's very, that's, that's way a, cool. Actually, I'd like to talk most, to him. Uh, cutting edge. Let's now, talk after the show, Tim. I'd like to get his information. In terms sure. of uh, when I think of Washington D.C., I think of big institutions like the Smithsonian and such. And I was uh, really impressed by the food uh, cafeteria at the uh, Museum of the Native American. Or uh, yeah, I think that's what right. it's called. That's what it's called. And um, I was I wondered if you could speak to that culture either that museum in particular or you know with these hundreds of museums and all these tourists coming in like what are the eating options for you know for people who come in like that and 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 is that part of what you write about um in the paper you know um i i really don't focus much on the 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 cafes and cafeterias in the museums uh, mostly because they have been so you know, quick service and, and processed and prepackaged foods. But, I, I, you know, what you're talking about, the American, uh, uh, American uh, Indian Museum, they really did raise the bar. Um, the, the chef, in fact, just came out with a cookbook uh, of his recipes, uh, Richard Hetzler, I believe his name is. And, I mean, it literally just came out, and I think it, it speaks to the quality and raising the level of sort of tourist food along the mall, the National Mall, and what people are looking for. I mean, I think we're all kind of hoping that, uh, uh, you know, the rest of the Smithsonian strip there will get the hint and maybe raise the level of some (laughs) of the food down there. Because then people would really go for lunch. You know, even Washington people, I bet, if it was, uh, you know, spectacular enough Absolutely. it'll be they, interesting they need to, to hire see. sodexo or bon appetit or it'll be interesting exactly. to see the first great chef that goes and says i want the museum of, of air and space you know i give me that cafeteria and what if a batali d- did something like that or you know your people jose andres down there very interesting so uh where tell us well, about right. i mean i think like danny meyer didn't danny meyer take over like the the service at uh, the uh the moma uh, moma Right, and sort of raise the bar for food and museums. Absolutely, Uh, and the Natural History Museum, Alice Waters has been working, you know, hard because it was her favorite museum. Um, You know, those those in the end are are the places that feed the most people, so it's interesting. Uh, So what restaurants have you written about recently? We have a couple more minutes. Uh, What restaurants would you recommend to us New Yorkers? We come down on that fast train. Uh, What are two or three, you know, of your favorites yeah, right now. Right now. Oh, it's, that's always a tough one. Um, you know, Penn Quarter has really exploded. That's where Jose Andres has all his restaurants. Uh, he's kind of consolidated them down there. So if if you're, like, coming down from another city, I think it's always good to, to get a, a sample of some of what he's doing. Because it's not just his tapas, Spanish restaurant, Haleo, but you can try Zatina. Uh, you can try his his attempt at Mexican food, which is Oyamel, which is actually pretty good. Oy. And uh, uh, Oyamel, yeah. Um, and uh, then there's also uh, his Latin American restaurant called uh, 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 Cafe Atlantico, which inside of it is the mini bar, which is almost impossible to get a reservation for since it's only six seats. Six. Um, but there's also, <laughs> I mean, I think. Sorry, wow. Tim. Six. Talk That's about tough. exclusive. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's where he's doing all his uh, experiments in uh, gastronomy and and right. uh, and uh, I know he hates this term, but molecular gastronomy. I know. Uh, why do they hates all it hate too, that, that term when that's because they don't like Hervé Tisse or what? I, I mean, think like, they say molecular doesn't sound like 
delicious. It doesn't sound sexy enough. And they claim their food's delicious, which I agree with. It is. It can be. It can be. So something like that. But I, I think it's just boys with their toys. Personally, I got my my I have my own little rant about molecular gastronomy and boys who play with that stuff. But you know. <laughs> So, um, but what is it? It's called Penn Quarter. That's the area in D.C. Penn Quarter, right. It's a little, it's an area, it's just a couple blocks uh, north of the mall, so it's not too far for people oh. to come down to D.C. to want to see the, the museums and then right. want to, you know, hit some nice restaurants up that away. That sounds great. It's nice when it's all in one place. So you can really, like, cruise around and see who's got tables. And so, uh, Tim, when are you going to be able to come and uh, be at Roberta's uh, and do radio with us live? And uh, we have more time to, to go through the full list uh, and and the whole D.C. food scene now and in the past and in the future. Well, I would love to. I, uh, I get up to New York. I have good friends uh, up in New York, and we get up there. You're in New York, right? I'm we're yeah, in we're in Brooklyn. Okay. Uh, uh, I uh, I have good friends up there. He actually owns a theater up uh, in in Williamsburg. Uh, oh. a wonderful little experimental theater. Which theater. one? And uh, so we get up there. Yeah, we're like a, a few so blocks next from time there. Up, up there, would love to hang out with you guys. Yes, oh, yeah. absolutely. We'll buy you, you a p- delicious pizza at Roberta's, and we'll have you live in studio. And uh, we thank you so much for for, for inaugurating our and, series too yeah. of, of exploring the food scene in cities around the United States. I think that's great, and I hope you'll come back and do it again soon, whether you're My in pleasure. town or not. But it's uh, it's fun to check in with the uh, you know boots on the ground and see what's happening in other cities. We get very New York centric here, so. All right, Sounds well, great. we have been engineered by uh, Jack Inslee. Uh, and by Nat Wiener. By Nat Wiener. And produced by Jack Inslee. Produced. Our guests today have been Tim Carmen. Tim, thanks so much. And uh, Matt we Weingarten. Josh Sharkey. Hey, Katie, I've got Dave Arnold on the line. He's upset about your molecular gastronomy. <laughs> oh, he did not. <laughs> bring him on, bring him on. <laughs> Anyway, thanks for listening uh, next week. Next uh, week we have uh, Living Concrete, Carrot City, uh, an exhibition at the New School. And we also have... Um, Jack. Jack will go through a one-hour listing of all the <laughs> of shows all the programs. backwards. But no, we have, we have some fun people on next week, so please do stay tuned. Or tune in again, and uh, we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to the main course on Heritage Radio Network, guys. Coming up next is Cutting the Curd. After that, we dig plants. And then we will see you guys on Monday for our lineup. Remember, follow us on Twitter at HRN Updates for giveaways, information, and news. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys.